Hello everyone and welcome to the debut episode of Through the Doggy Door presented by Embark here in Eau Claire. This is going to be the podcast series that is going to highlight dogs and dog care and some overall pet care tips. Who doesn't like a good dog? All right, a lot of people have had dogs, a lot of people have dogs, all that sort of thing. And we're going to be talking to Heather this week, many other weeks, so many other great guests we're going to have as well. And well, Heather, here we are. It is Through the Doggy Door presented by Embark. How excited are you guys to to be able to share your passion uh, of dogs and animals? I am so excited. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I could probably talk dogs and dog behavior for hours and hours. So <laughs> this gives me a little platform to <laughs> kind of send that information out into the universe. So I'm super excited. We have so much to cover. One of the exciting things is, and it, it'll kind of come through on the podcast uh, some weeks more than others. Uh, there's only a, a little wall here separating <laughs> us from the dogs that you've yes. got here right now. So there's a lot of barking going on. There is the dog smell in the air, which is not necessarily a bad thing. We're very much in the mood, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. We have, we're in my office, so the groomers are to the side of me, um, busy grooming away today, and then the daycare dogs are out there today, so there is always action around here. I was say, a couple happy doggies uh, through the window there yes. getting, uh, <laughs> getting their spa treatments. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, why don't you give us a little bit of, of background? Over the years, people, again, have you become more and more synonymous as one of the, the dog experts in the area. <laughs> Tell us how you got into this. Sure. So, gosh, where do I even start? I, I have been involved in the dog world since I was 10 years old. So I started... Um, as a kid, I uh, got my first dog. I got a Springer Spaniel and I started training her in 4-H. I got really involved in the 4-H dog project and I started training her and um, my training led to the suggestion to do some competitions. Um, and so I started doing that. I, I had a grooming business in my parents' basement when I was 13 years old. So I certainly started the entrepreneurial spirit early as a child. <laughs> um and with my Springer, I, I got really involved into training uh, more competition obedience kind of stuff, junior showmanship. And it just kind of kind of sparked something in me. I mean, I've always been an animal lover, but um, my Springer and I did quite a bit of competing when I was a kid. Um, so that's kind of how I got involved into the training world. Uh, my educational background has nothing to do with dogs. I have a bachelor degree in dietetics from UW-Madison, <laughs> which I'm clearly not using anymore. Um, I went to college at Madison to go to veterinary school, and I didn't get into veterinary school. Um, I was a biomolecular chemistry major and um, didn't really know what I wanted to do if I didn't get into veterinary school. So I went into clinical nutrition um, and worked in healthcare for about 12 years. So my background is a little bit different than what I'm currently doing. However, I think that you know, the um, heavy science that I was into really helped kind of propel me into what we now know about learning and behavior that, that kind of comes across in the scientific literature in the dog training world. So I worked in healthcare the whole time I, I was at Mayo. I still trained dogs. I worked at another training school. Um, and then in, gosh, December 2005, I decided, you know, healthcare isn't where I really want to be right now. <laughs> and honestly, I probably should have been fired from Mayo Clinic because I talked about dogs probably more than I talked about nutrition at the time. <laughs> Everyone kind of knew me as the dog girl. So um, many moments in my office were spent problem-solving behaviors, which probably was not the greatest um, option <laughs> 
for Mayo at the time. So um, I left Mayo Clinic in December 2005 and then opened my own business in January 2006 in Banbury Place. So started with the daycare. It was pretty small um, and just kind of grew from there. So I kind of started, you know, I had the advantage of having experience in the dog world in the area. And so as a kid, I you know, my, my experience in the dog world, um, really helped kind of propel me because I already kind of had a name out there that was someone who already had a lot of experience in the dog world. So I think that really helped in terms of my career. So that's kind of where I started. You know, I, I started teaching professionally dog training in 1998, but then went out on my own in January, 2006. Um, you know, and from there, it's just been kind of an evolving process. I'm a huge, like the staff and myself are huge continuing ed junkies, which I think is so important in this field. It's training is such a dynamic field and there's so much cool literature coming out. You know, when I was a kid, 10 years old, 12 years old, I mean, we did what our grandma did or we trained dogs like our uncle did or the neighbor. And now we have peer reviewed literature that tells us this is the most effective and efficient way to get behaviors in creatures that don't speak our language. So it's just such a cool time to be in this field. Um, And like I said, we have a lot of literature that backs what we do, which is again, kind of appeases my geeky science side, as well as my passion to help dogs and animal or dogs and their humans. So that's kind of where I got started. I, I moved to this building in April of 09. So we've been at our current location at Fairfax Street across from Memorial High School since then. Um, and just kind of every year we've kind of grown, you know, changed, evolved, tweaked some things, um, added grooming. Um, I do canine massage, which is kind of an odd little tangent. <laughs> um, I went to canine massage school in gosh, January 2006, and then again, level two, January, February 2007, um, which was really cool. I got to travel with the United States Agility Team for a couple years in a row to Europe, um, kind of um, warming up, cooling down, and conditioning the American team dogs, which was really amazing and fun and awesome. Um, and, I, and then I worked at a veterinary rehab clinic in Burnsville, Minnesota at Twin Cities Animal Rehab with Dr. Julia Tomlinson. Um, I still do some of that, not quite as much, um, just because of my time kind of takes, my time is, is, I guess, spent more doing behavior problem solving and teaching now. But um, yeah, so I have kind of this this myriad of ex- like past experiences that have kind of created what we are today, I guess. Well, I, I have to ask this. So you, you, you went, you got training. In fact, you got uh, extra training for, for canine massage. Yeah. So how many members of the family come up to you and go, I got kind of a sore <laughs> neck here, the... The the, yeah. back, the back isn't feeling quite good, you know. Muscle <laughs> muscles are muscles. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I joke with my physical therapy friends because I know canine gait and structure on an animal that walks on all fours, and so I don't <laughs> always translate that, nor am I qualified to translate that into the human world. Although my instructor always said I should work on horses because I have like m- like a pretty like hearty touch <laughs> when I work on dogs, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that comment a lot. And it's an odd field. I shouldn't say that. It's when I started, there was a, oh my gosh, like a handful of people that were doing canine massage and and kind of we didn't really call it rehab back then, like strength and conditioning kind of stuff. Now that world has like blown up. So, you know, I started doing that in 2006 and my gosh, now, you know, 14 years later, it is it's so common. I mean, every dog school has someone that does fitness and I mean, I kind of did it before it was called fitness or anything. It was just kind of conditioning work. So I still really enjoy it. I don't do quite as much of it just because of time limitations. Um, but I still really enjoy it. And I try to kind of keep up on 
the literature in that world, which is evolving as well. So, a lot of people that are that are downloading this podcast, you would assume most uh, have a dog, have had a dog. Mm. They love dogs. They've got their various reasons. You obviously, it's become your career. You're around mm. numerous dogs daily. Yes. So, what's the best part of being around so many? Dogs, and they're not your dogs. Yeah. It, 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 there, there's times in which dogs are kind of like kids, people like theirs, but they don't <laughs> want to be around somebody yeah. else's. So what are the best parts of it that keep you doing this, that keep the other people here doing this? Gosh, that's such a good question. You know, there's, I mean, every dog is so their own being. Um, and so what I enjoy about it is kind of just going outside of the box. I mean, you know, you can learn how to train dogs from a school. You can learn from books and podcasts and stuff, which are all fabulous. But I think until you are there and you have the equation of a human and their skills um, and then the dog and their skills or lack of on either part and kind of trying to find that fit between the two of them of, of, What's a way for these two to communicate on the same level where we can kind of bring their skill set together? And gosh, when that happens, it's just so amazing um, to see relationships build. I mean, that's what all dog training is, is just building a relationship kind of with a creature that doesn't speak your language. Um, and seeing that come together is just so beautiful. Like seeing clients that that could never have their dog off leash, like take them to a place where they're allowed to have their dog off leash and have that trust and that relationship. Um, and in a in a healthy, you know, force-free based way. Like the animal is coming to you because of discretionary effort. Like they really enjoy it. Um, they're not being, they're not doing the behavior out of, you know, the fear of being punished. They're doing it because it's so fun for them to do. And I know what that's like to feel. And I, I, I hope to kind of convey that to people. Um, but I think that's the best part. And, you know, there's just so many, oh my gosh, so many personalities. I mean, I can't tell you how many hundreds of dogs have walked through our doors over the years. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, whether it's daycare or classes or grooming, and they're all just so different and just kind of observing their behavior and, 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 you know, tweaking what we're doing or what they're doing so they can just have a better life because of it is just, I think the beauty of why all of us do it really. We're going to get into so much over the course of the next several months <laughs> yes. with this with this podcast and, and diving into some specific things. But somebody shows up to you. You're, you're at a cocktail party. All right? <laughs> no, not too many people are having cocktail parties pre-COVID, let alone during COVID. Sure. But you're at a cocktail party, and somebody comes up and says, "You know what are what are two three bullet points for good, you know, doggy care, good doggy ownership? Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to be a good human to my uh, to my dog or dogs." at my house. Mm -hmm. What are some of those, you know, those basic bullet points? Well, I think, you know, sometimes we, gosh, I mean, this could be four hours of content, but <laughs> <laughs> I think, so one of the first things that we start with puppies and one of the things we really talk about in the puppy class and then in our, our more like advanced ish or elementary level classes is, you know, to make training really easy, if you simply just start rewarding behaviors that you like, those behaviors start become more predominant in that learner's repertoire. And then the ones you don't like don't tend to surface. You know, we, it's interesting how even the word training, like dog training kind of like tweaks this part of my brain that I really don't like. <laughs> um, you know, because again, it's relationship building. So 
one of the things that I think one of the most important things in the training world is reinforcement builds behavior and reinforcing behaviors that you like. I mean, gosh, if you look at learning in any creature, I mean, you look at the education literature, the special education literature, the psychology literature in any creature, you know, they talk about reinforcing good behaviors. And I think that is such an easy part for anyone to do. You don't need any skills to do that. You know, you're prepping dinner, your dog is laying nice on their dog bed. Hey, acknowledge that because the minute they get up and they try to eat the chicken breast off the counter, that's when we turn into this crazy primate and we start, you know, yelling things at them. Whereas perhaps they were just doing the behavior we would like them to continue, but we didn't acknowledge it. So I think reinforcing behaviors that we like is such a key in any species, <laughs> I guess, really, um, but especially our dogs, because they don't have the verbiage, you know, when we get them and the verbal, you know, jargon that we we aspire to teach them. Um, so I think that's probably just a huge piece of it. Um, and then I think we forget that our dogs are sentient, like, feeling creatures, and they have off days. <laughs> you know, I try to tell our clients that there are days where you know, I didn't get a good night's sleep and didn't have enough coffee and I am off that day. And your dogs are the same way. I mean, sometimes you just have to go, okay, well, today's not a great day. Let's try again tomorrow. And, and that's how we all are, aren't we? Especially these days. <laughs> um, so I think that's a big piece of it. And then just like, you know, I think being fair to your learner, I think if we phrase our dog instead of a dog taking commands, if we kind of look at our dog as a learner and they're learning right along with us, I think that phrases or puts puts them in a different kind of parameter in our thought process of, okay, we have a learner in front of us. We're both learning together. Um, so I think those things are important. So reinforcing good behavior, like listening to our learner um, and um, like being mindful of, of kind of where they're at in the learning process, you know, because every trainer is and not like professional trainer, just all of us as humans are, some of us are more skilled than others at timing and at reinforcement. And so I think we have to give ourselves a break on that too. Another one of these topics that again, will have its own probably episode or episodes and another, you know, another four, four hours if you, <laughs> if you want, there is, you know, things people should consider when they, they want to bring a dog into their life. And yeah. And, and some of those key things to consider, and, and, and there's so many subcategories too. Mm -hmm. Are there kids? How big is the house? Is mm -hmm. it urban? Is it rural? All that sort of, sort of thing. But again, some of those, some of those basic things to warm us up for future episodes. Sure. As far as somebody's looking to bring a a dog into their life, bring a new family member in. Yeah. So you know the first. I mean, gosh, it's like again, if we go back to, this is building a relationship. You know that first year, you know especially with a puppy, that first two years is a lot of work. Um, you know, you are constantly giving feedback and and constantly kind of adjusting what you're doing and what they're doing. So I think really looking at the next, the upcoming year or two or three sometimes at, um, you know, how much time do I have to do some training? Um, and again, training doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be in a class. It doesn't have to be formal like we think of it. I mean, I'm a fan of, I call it kitchen training where, Dog's in the kitchen. I'm in the kitchen. We're going to do some little stays or some little settles or we're going to work on a little duration in a, in a down on the rug or whatever it might be. Um, so I think considering, you know, what is your schedule like? And then the needs of the dog. I mean, my gosh, you know, so many people are drawn to the working breed dogs, you know, the retrievers, the herding dogs, the working breeds. And and really making sure that they understand that these dogs have been bred for 500 years. You know, let's take a, a cattle dog, perhaps. You know, they've been bred for 
hundreds, at least, of years to really have an intense job. And if we don't give them something to do, you're going to see a lot of behaviors surface that you're probably not going to like. So making sure that, you know, if you have a dog that was bred for a purpose, which, oh my gosh, most of them, the breeds we have and the mixes that we have, of course, have been bred for that. Um, making sure we give them an outlet of some way to utilize that brain power so it doesn't, you know, resurface as, you know, chasing the children and like doing things that, that we would deem as, as undesirable behaviors in a dog. Um, so I think that's really important, kind of making sure you're researching what you're getting. And we don't always know that, right? I mean, you get a mixed breed from the shelter with kind of an unknown history. It's kind of a guess. And and we have to kind of take it as it's at. But um I mean, they're a lot of work, but gosh, they're so worth it. And that first year or two, I guess, is is harder. You know, you have an adolescent puppy and then you go into the teenage months and the teenage months could be a whole, you know, four-hour podcast on kind of what a, what a canine teenage brain looks like. Um, so I think that's just important, just kind of knowing it's going to be a big commitment. You know, it's rare you get the dog that'll just lay on the couch and be a dog. You know, I mean, some people get that, but some people don't. I mean, I like dogs that have isms. I think that's fun to have a wide variety of personality traits in my house. <laughs> so, what are what are some of those misconceptions about dogs? The the the, the commonly held beliefs. Maybe, maybe there are old stereotypes that have been passed down from generation to generation. Mm. That well, we 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 know not to be true. That the people that are in the industry know not to be true, but still exist out there. Gosh, I mean, the biggest one is probably the whole alpha leader. I mean, that again could be a whole hopefully will be a whole topic. Um, it just won't die. And if you listen to any of Dr. Meech's, the, you know, the wolf um, biologist that kind of came out with that initial study, um, you know, he even will tell you, you know, the way that we perceive, the way that we have taken this information and, and placed it onto the dog world is so incorrect. You know, again, I, I, I can't stress enough at how when you get a dog, you're building a relationship. Like I look at friends and family members and significant others that I build a relationship. I never have thought like I need to be dominant over anyone. <laughs> I mean, that's just such an old belief. Um, and I always, <laughs> I always make this, this uh, analogy of that's like using a corded phone. Like we did that in the seventies, but there are better ways to do things now. Um, and again, we know that, that, building a relationship means like is your learner understanding what you're asking them and and that 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 whole alpha and being dominant um it's just as dr susan friedman calls it explanatory fiction like we're using fiction to explain something a creature's doing when what we should do is be looking at observable behaviors and whenever we we look at that we always put it in this little behavior chain of an antecedent a behavior and a consequence um and that's just a very much more objective way to look at behavior and and problem solve it rather than saying well the creature is doing that because of this this and this if we look at it scientifically we can always figure out the consequence to the behavior and why that learner continues to do that behavior and then we can just kind of alter that little equation to make something different happen. So gosh, Scott, I would say that is the number one <laughs> myth that will not die. Um, unfortunately, and unfortunately, it's caused a lot of problems in the training world as far as, you know, more like aversive methods and, and people using things that I think harm the relationship between their, their dog and themselves. The services offered here at Embark. At, at, the, at the end of the day, we want people to, to understand there's a lot of great things going on 
at Embark. Mm-hmm. Uh, peop- as time's gone on, it's developed, uh, as anybody wants with, with marketing, it's developed a brand. <laughs> A reminder to people of all the great services that you do offer. Sure. So we do dog daycare um, every day. Well, um, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. We're open Saturdays, December through March. So we're closing in on our winter daycare Saturdays. Um, We do grooming. So we have four groomers that groom six days a week. Um, and so we have full service grooming, um, and then classes. We have everything from like a puppy Einstein class to therapy dog, to, um, more advanced training, to trick training, to, oh my gosh, you name it. We have a a whole bunch of fun little a la carte classes kind of focusing on one skill. Um, I think we do like 26 classes a week here. Um, so we have in-person classes and then we also offer virtual classes. So we started that back in March. So we do have a virtual puppy Einstein and a virtual real life Rover for people that don't want to be in house, um, right now with coronavirus surfacing. Um, so yeah, and then we do seminars and workshops. Um, you know, those have been on hold a little bit <laughs> this year, um, but hope to bring those back out when everything kind of calms down. But we do calling workshops and snuffle mat workshops, and we have presenters come in and do work, do you know, educational seminars and workshops. We did a positive gun dog workshop and a shed hunting workshop, and so a lot of those kinds of things. You name it, we probably do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> everything I, dog. <laughs> and, and again, we can't have any conversation sadly in 2020 and probably in the 2021 that does not involve COVID. Yes. Uh, One of the big things though is COVID's also bringing out uh, keeping in mind any sort of uh, respiratory Mm -hmm. uh, easily contagious uh, disease like say the the seasonal flu. Mm -hmm. What should people out there know about COVID and DOS? We've occasionally seen, I think it was still a few months ago, but the the, the headline of, you know, dog comes down with COVID or anything like that. And there's probably going to be more stories of that. So what should people know if they have a dog or they know somebody with a dog and you got the coronavirus going on out there? So here, if we have humans that are quarantined, we ask that their dog be quarantined. I think, and I would defer to my veterinarians on this, but from what I've read from the AVMA literature and the World Health Organization, there isn't a lot of evidence that it is transmittable. Um, via a dog to a person. But again, I think that's kind of an, un, as many things with COVID, right? Um, kind of an unknown right now. So if if a human is quarantined, we ask that their dog kind of stay with them. Um, but again, that's why we have virtual classes. So, you know, if you have to pop out of a class, we can offer you the virtual one or they're all recorded so we can send them to you. So it's really easy if you are in a group class, if you need to drop out for a bit, it's really easy for us to get, a, get you the information. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, before I let uh, before I let uh, you go, your office, by the way, you, you, you run this place, <laughs> so you could have chosen anything as you were setting this place up. Why did you choose a window that looks into the uh, the oh. grooming area? <laughs> so, prior to me buying this building, it was PM Sleep Center, so there was a mattress um, sales room, and so my office was the manager's office, and it looked out into the showroom. <laughs> now, currently, we don't have a showroom. We built a grooming room there, so I call it the interrogation window. It's like a like a two-way window or whatever, which is kind of odd. I can see my groomers in there. Um, but it just kind of happened that way. This was really the only office in the building at the time. Did so. they ever joke that they're the ones that always have the boss's eyes on I them? know. <laughs> <laughs> I just, usually what I see through my window is a little happy golden doodle, like just wagging its tail looking at me through the window. So it's it's um, it's um better than having a outside window, I guess, right? Because <laughs> I don't have one of those in my office. <laughs> 
Well, again, we'll have uh, many episodes uh, typically every other week or so uh, of this podcast uh, series. And, of course, keep checking back here at the website for more of the podcasts. And, and, and Heather, I know you're all excited. You were telling me before you're, you're already the, – the mind is already steaming with ideas, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So many topics to cover. I, I'm such a podcast geek junkie anyway. There are – several in my repertoire that I listen to on a very regular basis. And um, I'm already kind of forming the, the, you know, frequently asked questions I hear, I hear here both in classes and then private behavior work that, that would be great to address just to have a resource for people to refer to. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and the fun thing will be, we'll have some guests on, uh, mm-hmm. Heather's going to track, uh, track those down and share stories. And a lot of the things we talked about today in and of themselves, could be their own 30-minute episode. Well, Heather, thank you very much. Yes. we got a lot more coming up in the subsequent weeks. Until then, that'll do it for this week's edition of Through the Doggy Door, presented by Embark.